Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hello everybody and welcome to Scattered. I'm here with Mary and Juliet today and we are looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're coming towards the end of the letter now. And Paul has been exhorting Timothy towards true contentment and warning him of the dangers of false teachers. And he finishes now in verses 9 to 10, just before this section that we're looking at, by describing temptations, especially in terms of money and cravings and desires that people might have. And then he starts in verse 11 with the word, but as for you. And then he finishes out the letter here by exhorting Timothy again. So, ladies, what are in this section, verses 11 to 16 of chapter 6, what are the commands Paul gives Timothy in this section? So, okay, we've got flee, verse 11. So there's these command words, aren't there? Are they called it is something? What's it called? Any command? Imperative. Imperative. Yes, imperatives. That's it. So we've got flee and pursue. Can I just say, I'm so satisfied that my fellow Hermione came out with the say. I was like, yes, Hermione's unite. Yeah, Ron, Ron was floundering and Hermione came to the rescue. Flee, pursue, fight, take hold, and then keep keep this command Yeah, a lot of imperatives there from Paul to Timothy. I guess in kind of, you know, following the theme of the letter where where Paul is encouraging Timothy in how to love and serve his church well, that especially involves him looking at himself and how his faith is displayed in his life. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the first imperative goes back to, it's basically like talking about the previous section about the people who are going after money. And so he's saying, like, flee that. And the I think the in-between bit, oh, man of God, instead of being oh, man of money or oh, man of other things, he's a man of God. And so it's like very much like go in the opposite direction to those and run away from the love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evils from the last passage. Yeah, there's an emphasis, isn't there, on action rather than kind of sitting back and relaxing in your faith. Like these, you know, fleeing, pursuing, like they're quite, I think the kind of original Greek is quite almost aggressive in its tone. Like this isn't something that is easy and something that yeah you can just relax and do it's like an active everyday thing and I kind of yeah I was I was challenged by that just because I especially when things aren't difficult in life and when life does seem to be kind of pootling on I tend to relax a bit in my faith but this is very much like yeah I think even in easier times we should be doing this Yeah, I think there's like a tendency to think like, oh, yes, you're either going in two directions, (laughs) like there's no really in-between places there. And so I think he's quite clear, like we have to, when we're not pursuing righteousness or godliness or faith and love, all these things, we're pursuing other things. And so it's quite a good 
reminder and challenge for us, like a guard on our hearts, that actually we need to be active in our faith and our walk of faith and that God is also active with us, which is really, I think we see that in Paul's other letters, that he's um, working in us while we strive, while we pursue these things and fight and take hold. He is also working in us to change us and to, I think often I find it's my desire, what my desire is for. And I think that changes as we pursue him, then he gives us a greater desire for him. Yeah, because the I, I was quite challenged by the pursuing gentleness one. I feel like I was surprised that one was on the list. You know, the other ones are kind of, you know, godliness, faith, righteousness, love, endurance, and then gentleness, which feels like I don't want to be sexist, but it feels kind of almost feminine, doesn't it? For a but this is, you know, he's instructing a man to pursue gentleness, which I think is challenging for the men amongst us. Like, how are you pursuing gentleness and what does that look like? And for us women as well. Obviously, I am often not gentle in the way that I act and speak. So it's a challenge for me. But it's in there, isn't it? I feel like Jesus was very gentle, even though at times he got angry and you know, upset at things, and but he was very gentle. So, yeah, just challenged us to what that kind of gentleness looks like in my life. Is it the same word in the ESV? Yeah, it is. I think I, I agree. I, I found this quite challenging, this section, because I think in my brain, fighting is aggression and loudness and really sort of combative. But here, when he talks about godliness faith love steadfastness gentleness those aren't things that I associate with fighting Mm. um and so it and I was thinking as I read it through the first time how does fighting the good fight marry with us being called to unity and love and kindness and like how yeah it's 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 a challenge, isn't it, to our perception of what to fight is? Because when I first read this section, I thought, with all these imperatives, it sounds really exhausting. What, like, I can't believe that this is what I'm called to as a Christian. <laughs> and then there's that word gentleness. Actually, it's not all like raging <laughs> and that kind of thing, is it? it? And how does that marry with, come to, to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest? We're commanded to fight. How does that? How does that marry with that? I don't know if you guys have any solutions for me. I think he, Paul himself, he likes using this battle warfare like vocabulary because I think it sort of describes an ongoing battle in our lives. And it's not just like a, I think he meet often when he says fight the good fight of faith, it's like a battle that's waging inside our hearts like he he says in Romans like I do what I don't want to do (laughs) I can't quote it offhand but like you know what I want to do I don't do and like there's this battle going on inside inside of us and so these qualities are the qualities that God has and he wants us to have and so we're like yeah needing to fight to stay near to him and 
we'll probably, well, <laughs> we don't probably, we'll definitely need to keep fighting till our last days until we see him in mm. glory. Mm. And so it's like a, yeah. It's a spiritual battle as well, isn't it? Like these things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, these are all areas of our lives that I think Satan wants to attack us in. And, you know, with the gentleness thing, for example, as leaders, I think the temptation would be to not be gentle in the way we lead. And, you know, I'm sure that Satan, you know, would tempt us with, you know, you're weak. If you don't do this thing, you're weak and don't be a weak leader or, you know, in righteousness and godliness and love. Like, I think the temptation that we would have would be to not be leaders like that or for our leaders to not be leaders like that. So it's almost like we need to be aware of the temptations of the opposites of these things and that it's a spiritual battle. And, you know, Satan wants us to fail. And so he's going to use these things against us. And I guess the energy that we find to continue this fight, or like one of the motives is the thing that Paul talks about in verse 12, where he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. The result isn't just like a victory. The victory results in eternal life with God in heaven. Yeah, it's like the past and present and future thing of salvation. Like we have it, like we've been called to this thing and we have it but in the present we're kind of fighting for it and, and pursuing it but then it's kind of already ours and then when we are in heaven it's like we're there that's the kind of thing we're aiming for and there we'll have true rest won't we because there won't be any more evil and sin which is something to look forward to <laughs> okay so moving on to verses 13 and 14 in verse 14 Paul calls Timothy to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Which commandment is Paul talking about there? So I think people, some people disagree about what this command is, whether it's this particular command, so taking hold of eternal life, or whether it's kind of this command as in the whole letter that Paul has written, or whether it's just the command like as in the law of Christ. So, I mean, I don't know where you guys fall on this one, but I think I would lean towards it being taking hold of eternal life, which I guess kind of encompasses all the rest of it. So be active in your faith. Let your faith be producing fruit in your life. But that is in all of that, clinging on to eternal life. That's that's what clinging, I think clinging on to eternal life means to do those things. But I don't know what you guys think. I, w- I would say the, the same thing as you. I think he's talking about the eternal life. It seems to flow better from the passage, but, yeah. you know, wiser heads than ours disagree. So, Yeah, yeah. And I don't think any of them kind of, you know, are particularly contentious. So, so yeah, I think it's just... No, uh, I think the key is it's less what the commandment is and it's more what are we supposed to do with it? We're supposed no matter what commandment we're talking about, whether it's the law of Christ or taking hold of eternal life, we are called to do it in an unstained and free manner. Yeah. Yeah. Free from reproach. Yeah. And you know, we have a goal, don't we, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like that's that's going to be the the time that we're like, oh, you know, like, you know, when you get home from a really 
stressful day and mm-hmm. it's just so good to be home I think it's that times like a million like that feeling of like oh I, you know I'm done <laughs> mm-hmm. I've, I long for that <laughs> especially like as a lot of the battles like Juliet was saying a lot of the battles are in my heart you know it's not even stuff that's thrown at me in the day it's like my own heart being like wanting more than I need or like wanting power or things like that sometimes I'm just like who are you (laughs) yeah I agree with the gist of what he's saying I think that definitely fits with just within the context of this passage that we're to take hold of the eternal life and and one day we'll be in the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it kind of fits within what Paul is saying there. Yeah. And we can, you know, because it's a com- it's a command, isn't it, to keep the commandment unstained and free from repro- reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can we do that? He's already told us in verse 11, flee the things that we talking about earlier in the chapter and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness and gentleness. Mm. Yeah. there's a direction to our fleeing isn't there like it's not just randomly mm. fleeing we're fleeing, fleeing towards Jesus like fleeing towards his kind of open arms verse 14 mm. kind of yeah okay in two places here in verse 12 and then again in verse 13 Paul talks about good confessions So the first one is the good confession that Timothy made. And the second one is the good confession that Jesus made. What is this good confession in each case? What's it about? And why does Paul suddenly switch to talking about Jesus and his his good confession? Okay. So the good confession in verse 12 was, I think, an instance where Timothy publicly declared his faith in the presence of others and then I don't know if you guys have something different to that and then in verse 13 is it 13 when there's Jesus makes a good confession in the presence of Pilate that was also a public declaration not in many words as we can see in like the gospel accounts but actually just a sort of a standing firm showing that God is in charge, not Pilate, and actually a testimony, yeah, to who God is and who he is. And I guess for Timothy, it's a declaration of his allegiance to God and a declaration of who he thinks God is. So I think in some places people think that the good confession is like a special prayer or like is it the believer's prayer or like an altar call response. But I, yeah, I think it's specifically talking about these instances of their testimony and their declaration. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I noticed whilst reading through this was that Paul's effectively saying to Timothy, you've made this good confession and it's going to be hard and think bad people are going to say bad things and hard things are going to happen. But look, Jesus also made the good confession. He's been through everything you're about to go through or are going through or worse. You know, he's been through worse. 
keep going. He will come back at the proper time. He knows. He's experienced it. You're not alone. And this is who, this is who's got your back. He then moves on into verses 15 and 16. This is who's with you. Yeah, it's almost like a widening of the camera angle, isn't it? Like, Mm. he is focusing on Timothy, but then he's like pulling out and being like, you know, Jesus did this, like, look to him. And then, you know, there's, you're in the arena of, God, who's the blessed and only ruler, verse 15, the king of kings, the lord of lords, who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see. So it's almost like gives a massive perspective, doesn't it, on what we're going through when we, you know, because sometimes in life we are caught like this specific example of Jesus giving his confession, you know, was a really hard time for Jesus and a really difficult thing to do I imagine because he knew that his confession would lead to his death and I think you know hopefully we won't have to face that kind of thing but there are points in our lives aren't there when we have to make a good confession sometimes it's in happy circumstances in church or something but sometimes it might be in front of people who hate us and 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 in those moments that like all we can cling to is Jesus isn't it and the fact that he goes ahead of us in doing difficult things and and really proclaiming our faith in difficult circumstances the end being being with him but it's in that arena of God being in control he's sitting on his throne and it's true like this is true so it's worth it yeah it really reminds me of in Hebrews where we are looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is now sat at the right hand of God. And yeah, really having that perspective of, yeah, he's he's gone before us and we have like a sure eternal joy that is before us and we can also run in his direction. Great. Thanks, guys. Let's look now at verses 17 to 19, where Paul switches to talking about the rich. So in the first part of the chapter, chapter six, he's talked about people who desire riches, the the wannabes. And now he's talking to the rich about the rich. So what what does he say about them and how is this helpful for us? So last week we were looking at, weren't we? how to be kind of content in non like when you're living in poverty or struggling in that area but he's addressing isn't he yeah people who have a lot more not to put not to be arrogant so there's two it seems to be that there are two outcomes of wealth so like pride so not to be arrogant or I'm looking at verse 17 here or putting your hope in that wealth and both of these lead to a turning away from God so that you know to do to be those things to be proud in our wealth and by wealthy he's not just talking about people with Teslas and holiday homes if you look at the world like okay in the UK poverty might be one thing also you know world over if you own a fridge I think it's if you own a fridge if there's a fridge in your house 
you are considered in something like the top 5% of the world wealth-wise, just to give some perspective. So we are the wealthy, probably most people listening to this podcast, we are considered the wealthy. And wealth leads to pride and hope, putting our hope in other things. And the opposite thing to do, and I think what Paul's encouraging people to do, is to still put our hope in God, who richly provides. But then also, verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. It's really challenging, isn't it? It's good to look at our own hearts and be like, how is my comparative wealth leading me away from hope in God? I think that's a good question to ask. And I like how Paul adds that actually they're setting their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So it's like a very uncertain thing. But actually, God is like a very certain, secure, and provides us with everything to enjoy. And so, yeah, it's very like he's kind of pleading with them not to put their trust in something that won't satisfy not only won't satisfy it won't it won't last because it's not eternal and yeah just showing them actually God is the one who's eternally there and we're in like verse 19 we want to store up treasure for the future and so that we might take hold of that which is truly life and I think that's like a reminder isn't it that actually our time here on earth is very short and small compared to eternity and where we're storing up our hopes. If it's in money, that's only going to last us a short time. Whereas we want to store up our hopes on God and yeah, the whole, the rest of eternity. Yeah. It seems to be, doesn't it? The language of verse 17 is like uncertain and then verse 19 firm foundation. Like there's two ways to, kind of live in in our wealth and you know there's this life that is truly life like he's not just calling us to kind of this life of misery misery he's actually saying that in in doing our wealth right and using our what he gives us rightly we gain true life like which is better than a life of kind of wealth that doesn't really mean anything and like I said last week if you look at truly wealthy people like really really wealthy people I don't know that they're happier really you know having lots of cars I I think yeah you just always want more don't you I know I do (laughs) yeah so the opposite to that like the commands he almost gives in verse 18 is to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share I think that like loosens your grasp on your existing riches and like he's saying that will help you to store up treasure for the future and so it's quite like it's almost releasing and I think a lot of people think, oh, it's like I'm blessing others when I give. But actually, the person you're blessing most is yourself. You're really releasing yourself from a hold on what is temporary to what is like a hold on what is eternal. Yeah. And us three, I think all three of us could say we have so much 
benefited from the generosity of people who support what we're doing overseas. And that's a huge, like sometimes the way, like it's very quiet and secret. I don't think any of us would publicly share it, but the way that people give and sometimes the sacrificial way in which they give to us so that we can do what we're doing here is so beautiful and so like such a good outworking of this passage to support yeah the work that we're doing I find it really moving sometimes especially when I know that person doesn't have very much and it's not just money as well it's people's homes and the way they love us when we come back and things like that like it always feels it's hard actually as a work as someone working overseas like this sometimes to be the receiver of all that grace because my pride is like yeah piqued by it but it's yeah it's humbling one of the things that I was reading about this and I listened to a sermon about it as well is this concept of you know our culture teaches us that if you are rich there's sort of this implicit assumption that you are therefore better you know I have more therefore I am more and I listened to such a great sermon by Kent Hughes and he was like you know I have more therefore God loves me more I am more I'm more worthy but and he was like you know we're tempted to to think that never mind that a mafia boss would also say the same thing and it was, and you know, I just found it so convicting because I think it is so easy to slip into that thinking or that even that way of speaking. You know, I, it makes me uncomfortable when we say things like, oh, this person's really blessed because of this, this, this. And then we're like, okay, so what are we saying that other people aren't because they don't have that thing? You know, and I just think this passage speaks against, or this whole, I mean, the whole of the Bible, doesn't it? It speaks against riches equaling better person or more loved by God and actually most of the time the Bible speaks to the rich in a be careful be very very careful kind of way and ask and doesn't say the riches themselves are bad but says you need to use what you have got rightly because actually it's incredibly dangerous which is why they Paul in verse 18 says they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You know, storing up treasure for themselves. And I was reminded when I, as you guys were talking, actually, is it John Piper talks about when he, you know, you need to think when you're living your life, you need to think about what it is that you're collecting. Does he say like, you want to make sure that you're collecting treasure for heaven rather than like pebbles? Is it him who says that? Like, you don't want to end up at the, I mean, the pearly gates. But it's not a thing. But he's like, you don't want to end up in heaven and for God to be like, so, hey, how did you do in your life? And you'd be like, I collected these really pretty shells. (laughs) And you'd be like, right, okay. Great. And these things are taught in some churches. I mean, obviously, Timothy might be coming up against this kind of teaching but yeah some churches teach that you're blessed if you're doing really well and that you know if you're not you just Mm. need to pray harder and but then if you look at the lives of people in the bible um i think you often see that the opposite is true that this life is all pointing to something else i also think though that the inverse can be true it can be taught so I think among workers like us certainly in my environment anyway 
the prevailing sort of narrative is that to in order to be truly holy and a good worker you need to you need to live in poverty and and any sign of any kind of money or anything is detrimental to the gospel and so i think you know this this passage is also helpful in that in that he's not saying having things and money is bad what he's saying is if you have it use it rightly yeah but if you have two coats you should give one to somebody else like that would be jesus's thing i think like yeah yeah be yeah be generous okay and then in the last couple of verses verse 20 and 21 how does he end the letter and what seems to be paul's biggest concern so I think he addresses Timothy and asks him to guard the deposit entrusted to you. And it's this deposit seems to be the good news or the gospel, because he then he goes on to often he he contrasts. So he's saying, guard this and avoid something else. And so the avoidance is this irreverent babble and contradictions of and what is falsely called knowledge and so he's saying hold firm to the truth and like avoid the extra contradictions and things that are added on to what is the truth and the warning is then in verse 21 like because actually some people have clung to these things and have swerved from the faith and so it's like a again like a just a warning and like I think it's it makes it very real because it's like Timothy you might be capable of swerving from the faith so actually you need to do active things like guarding the word in your heart and avoiding these things because yeah it's a very real fight that we're still in until we see Jesus in glory. I think as well like I like the way that he ends with grace be with you all because the end of the day we all suck at lots of this a lot of the time (laughs) so I feel like we need that kind of as a kind of reminder at the end all is grace (laughs) like keep pursuing keep fleeing and guard taking hold and guarding but also yeah at the end of the day all is grace and God really really loves us and he pursues us more than we (laughs) are any good at pursuing him not so that we can then just chill out and drop it all but just in a kind of encouraging way I think I also found these verses I just thought they were verses for our times you know Timothy guard the deposit entrusted to you guard the true gospel avoid anything that people are trying to add on or twist or change in the name of saying oh well we're you know, we're 2000 years after that happened now and we've got better knowledge and we're more aware and our society has developed more. So therefore, this is how we should think of these verses or this is what he was actually saying. If we apply these verses to our culture now, then actually this is what it says. And therefore, this is permissible or that is permissible. You know, I just really felt like they were verses for our times putting us on our guard Go, go back to fundamentals when you hear things and people are like, oh, but actually this is what this verse means. Okay, but 
is that part of the original deposit that was entrusted to us? Is that what the Bible is actually saying? Or is it irreverent babble and contradiction and in the name of knowledge or development or progress? But again, that thing, like you said, Mary, grace be with you. Everyone makes mistakes, <laughs> you know, and we need grace to be able to discern. We need grace to be able to fight the good fight. We need grace to be rich in good works. None of this yeah. is is possible without grace. And I think we're not, I think that we're not good at being gracious to ourselves, are we? We're often like, I think sometimes the hardest on ourselves, I guess, because we know the depth of our depravity. <laughs> but yeah, if God can be gracious to us, then I think we can be too. Yeah, I think that's helpful to be reminded of, like, the definition of grace. It's undeserved favour, so we don't deserve it. And he lavishes his love on us, so it's... give thanks to God. Yeah, praise God. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. hope you enjoyed uh, the book of 1 Timothy. We will be back soon, starting 2 Timothy. Bye! Bye. Bye.